0: We're continuing looking at the Beatitudes here in Matthew chapter 5. And if you remember, the word blessed. Most English translations have this word blessed. Um, The the best English translation we have for this word is the English word happy. But that's probably not the best word to use because our definition of happy is probably not uh, what the author intended when he was talking about being blessed. It's probably better to understand this word as being fortunate because you're in God's favor Although you can be happy and be, because you're fortunate that God has smiled upon you. But the idea is tied up more in the idea of having joy. You can have joy in difficult circumstances, whereas happiness is sometimes fleeting. Uh, but I'm just going to use the word blessed because that's what most English translations uh, use. I'm just going to read through all of the Beatitudes that we have here. And then we're going to go look at the second one tonight, which is verse 4. But it begins, blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. It's interesting to point out as we're going through these, The blessed part in the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Jesus says that in the present tense. And and last week we looked at how this is the first step on to become a citizen of the kingdom. It's the first rung on the ladder, so to speak. So when you get to the place where you realize that you're completely lost without Jesus and you reach that point of being spiritually bankrupt, is how we described it last week, automatically the kingdom of heaven is made available to you because you now understand there's nothing you can do to acquire it on your own. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted. If you notice the kingdom of heaven is theirs, once again, that's in the present tense. But if you look at all these others, everything from verse 4 down to verse 9, the blessing is something to look forward to, something that you're going to attain at a later date. This morning we talked about how we are groaning while we are here on earth. And I think this paints a good picture of groaning. Uh, The things that we have to endure, and the things that we have to suffer while we were here on earth. While we were made members of the kingdom immediately upon our confession of faith and being baptized into Christ, right then and there we're part of the kingdom. We're saved. Whatever term you like to use. That happens right here, right now. And if you go through this progression and you reach number 10 down there, those who are persecuted, you're still in the kingdom. That doesn't take you out of the kingdom either. No matter what people do to you, Paul makes it very clear, no one can snatch you out of the hands of God. Once he has sealed you with his spirit and you are a part of the kingdom, nothing can take you away. But all of these other issues, these are things that we look forward to. We get tastes of them and we get glimpses of them here in this life but some of it won't be fulfilled until Christ returns and he makes all things new. So let's look at verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. There's a parallel account of the Beatitudes in Luke 6. It's not quite as extensive as the one we have here in Matthew. And in this section in Luke's gospel, he says, Blessed are those who weep. And those two terms are, are interchangeable when you're understanding what Jesus is saying. If you're mourning and you're truly grieved, what's the natural response? You're going to cry. You're going to weep. Uh, Luke uses that imagery. Matthew uses the imagery of those who are mourning. In Isaiah 61, which is one of the great messianic passages in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah is talking about this Messiah that's going to come. And he says, those who mourn will be comforted. So Matthew is saying, this is what the prophets were talking about all along. The mourning, the weeping. Jesus, the Messiah, is now here. And Jesus says that when you mourn, and when you grieve, and when you weep, not only does God hear you, but He will comfort you. Now it's interesting because we mourn, we grieve about a lot of different things. Some of them are important, some of them not so important. I learned last week, and you learn this whenever you're in a new place, to be careful when you name who you pull for. So I'm not going to mention any team names tonight. But if you're a sports fan, your team has probably lost a big event at some point and you mourn. You're upset that the team you pull for lost. I used to really like NASCAR and I had a favorite driver and when he lost I was unhappy, I mourned. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. That That is a temporary thing, it's not important at all. We may feel some sadness, we may feel dejected and disappointed when whatever it is that we're invested or involved in doesn't work out, but that's not what it means to mourn. It may feel like it at the time, but that's not what it means. Jesus is not even saying to physically mourn over something like the loss of a loved one, although that is part of it. Uh, When Jesus returns and makes all things new and death and sickness pass away, there will be no more mourning. So he will take care of that. But this idea of mourning that Jesus is mentioning, it ties directly back to the first thing he said. When you get to the point in your life where you realize that you are spiritually bankrupt and you have nothing to offer a holy God, and you realize that the only way you can be part of His kingdom, to be one of His people, is to go to Him and say, I have nothing. That's the poor in spirit, and now you are ushered into the kingdom. I believe Scripture says the way that happens is you repent, and you're baptized into Christ. And then when the Holy Spirit is in your life, The Holy Spirit does a lot of things for believers. One thing the Holy Spirit does is help us understand Scripture. It enlightens the Word for us. So when we're reading some of these things, now when you have the Spirit of God living within you, it makes a little more sense. There's still some stuff in here we grasp at, and we won't understand it until Jesus returns, but the Spirit helps us understand the Word. But the Spirit also convicts us of our sin. And the idea of mourning here is the idea of mourning or grieving on a spiritual and a social level. Sometimes we don't talk about the idea that Jesus was concerned about social things, and that's a big deal these days. I don't know if you've noticed, but there are a lot of people out there, they call them social justice warriors. I believe a lot of them have their hearts in the right place, and they're genuinely concerned about things that concern God, but maybe they go to the extreme. Jesus cares about that stuff as well. And when we as believers look around at the world as it exists, and we talked this morning, this world's broken, we should be grieved. So i ask a question. You don't have to answer it out loud. You can ponder this. You can think about it. But it's a question I ask myself a lot. How often, when I look at the world around me, and when I look in the mirror, am I grieved by what I see? Are there things going on in this world that break your heart? Do you sometimes look in the mirror and the Spirit speaks to you and you see things in your life that break your heart? That's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a grief that's caused by personal sin and personal loss, but also by seeing the evil that just runs rampant in this world. And let's be honest, it should break our hearts. Too often I have been like James and John, the sons of thunder. They looked around and things weren't going the way they thought they should. And you remember what they told Jesus? Can we call down lightning and burn them up? Now, I'm not saying there's not a place for righteous anger because there is. But there was no compassion there. There was no grief. They were just mad. And sometimes when I look at the things going on in the world, sometimes when I look at the behavior of other people, if I'm honest, it makes me mad. And too often I'm kind of like James and John. Let's just get rid of those folks. Let's just get rid of it. That's not grief. That's not mourning. Jesus, and it's amazing, Jesus was able to spend the majority of his time around broken, sinful people. And he cared. I don't know if you've ever noticed that when you're reading through the gospel. Jesus cares about these broken people. How many times does Jesus look at the things going on around him and says he was troubled in his spirit? He stood outside of Jerusalem and said he wept. He wept for Jerusalem, the entire city, because they were lost. And he said he longed to take them under his wing like a mother hen takes her chicks under her wing. So Jesus was a person who mourned. Now, Jesus didn't have personal sin that he had to grieve about. We do. But when Jesus saw these people that he loved, the people that he came to this earth to save, and he saw them just lost and wandering aimlessly, it broke his heart. This morning we looked at how the Spirit groans with us. The things that break God's heart should break our hearts as well. And when we see the sin, and I'm not saying that sometimes it shouldn't anger us. There are some things that are being done in this world that should anger us. But we should respond properly. It should grieve us. It should break our hearts. Because that's what it did for Jesus. The beautiful thing about this section is, is that when we're truly seeking and following God, we're truly living like citizens of the kingdom, And that's what this basically is, is that roadmap. When we're progressing along this path and we're climbing this ladder and we are exhibiting these attributes in our life, we're drawing closer and closer to the heart of Christ. And we become more like Him. And if we're becoming like Him, then when we look at the world, we should respond the way Jesus did. It broke Jesus' heart to see these people who were lost. That's why he spent so much time with the sinners. One of the accusations you see over and over again from the religious people was what? Jesus did what? He's hanging out with sinners. He doesn't know who he's hanging out with. Now mind you, Jesus, and I'll put it in contemporary terms, Jesus may have been at the keg party, but he wasn't drinking and carrying on, but he was there because he was concerned, and he loved those people. I briefly worked at Walmart up in Pennsylvania for a little while while I was preaching up there. And I was a door greeter, believe it or not. I think I was probably the youngest door greeter in the history of Walmart. (laughs) And it didn't take long standing at the front door at Walmart, and basically you just stood there with a green vest and said, Good day. How are you doing? Welcome to Walmart. Have a good day. And you see people come in Walmart. And I'm assuming we have all been to a Walmart. And if you go to Walmart and you pay attention, there is an interesting cross-section of people that inhabit Walmarts. And the temptation is to stand there and to see people come in and to make judgments. And to assume things. In fact, there's actually a website called the People of Walmart where people go in and take unflattering pictures. They post them so they can spend their time making fun of people. And I would stand at Walmart for eight hours a day as people come in and it dawned on me those people were created in the image of God. And God loved them. Genesis makes it very clear. All humans, man, woman, child, everyone is created in the image of God. John 3.16 makes it very clear that Jesus loves every single one of them. And here we are making fun of people because they dress unflatteringly or they do things that are ignorant. And what that should do is break our hearts. And we should grieve for people who are lost, but so often we make fun. Or worse, we get angry and we want to condemn Jesus says, when you are confronted with sin, whether it's on a worldwide scale or whether it's in your heart, it should break your heart. And you should mourn. And you should grieve. Briefly, there's three things I want us to take from this tonight. Number one, Jesus is our primary example of what it means to mourn. In Isaiah 53, it says, He was a man of sorrows who was familiar with pain and suffering. In fact, he would go on and suffer beyond what we can even imagine because he loved us so much. When Jesus confronted these people, he didn't see them as drunks and prostitutes and tax collectors. Those were the worst, but those tax collectors... His own disciples struggled with this. If you look at some of the conversations Jesus had with his own disciples, they sometimes didn't get it and Jesus had to explain to them. And sadly, I think a lot of us in the church, this in this world that we live in, and I confess, sometimes I get this way too. Let's just be honest. Sometimes I'm quicker to anger or to judgment and to just assume things about those people, whoever those people might be, when what I should do is respond like Jesus, when I see a lost and dying world knowing how much God cares for them, it should break my heart. When I see people lost in sin who don't even realize it, and that's the sad thing, is so many people today that are caught up in sinful behavior and sinful activities honestly don't know any better. They have been raised that way. They've never been taught the truth of Scripture. They're just doing what they know how to do. And we get angry. And we rush to judgment when it should break our hearts. We've all seen people caught up in patterns. Robin, Robin was working in child and youth services. And she could probably tell you stories of children born into systems they had nothing to do with. Caught up in situations that they were completely innocent of, but they were trapped in it. And she never gave me a lot of details. She couldn't do it, but when she would tell me some of the things she experienced, it broke my heart. I grew up across the street from a beer joint down in Nash County years and years ago. And it was interesting because, like I said, Jesus may have been at the keg party. He wasn't partying, but when I was growing up, that place terrified me. Bikers, loud music, hooping and hollering, yelling screaming. We used to joke that Santa Claus didn't come on Christmas Eve until the state troopers had left. That was the kind of place it was. And it was easy to look at these guys and some of the ladies there and just make judgments because they were out there doing things. But I got to know some of them because some of them would come every single weekend. And you get to know folks. And you realize that some of them just didn't know any better. It's just what they knew. They weren't any worse than me. And I went to church every Sunday. In fact, some of them probably at that time in my life were better people than I was. They just didn't know any better. And I have been guilty of looking at people based upon what they looked like, what they were wearing. And just assuming that I knew every single thing about them. This is interesting because we live in a really weird world. Having kids and grandkids growing up in a world that's completely foreign to you frightens you. I've got an acquaintance, he's not a friend because I don't really know him in real life. He's an acquaintance I met on the internet. And we were talking about movies, it was a group where you get around and talk about things that you like and you have shared interests. And as I got to communicating with this person, after about a year, I found out that this person, who I thought was a guy, had been born a, a woman. Never knew it, I couldn't tell. And my first reaction was, well, I can't be friends with this guy anymore. And then I stopped and thought about what image? Because this person knows I'm a Christian. We talk about it. We disagree about some stuff. We have those conversations. This person knows I'm a minister and knows how I feel and knows what I believe. And then I find out this thing that blew my mind. I'll just be honest with you. That blew my mind. But my first response was, I'm not going to be friends with that person anymore anymore. And I thought that for about 10 seconds. And it was all, I didn't hear Jesus talking to me, but it's almost like I heard Jesus say, What are you thinking, Lee? Instead of being offended, instead of being disgusted, and I confess I, I struggle with these things, the proper response was, It should have broken my heart immediately. And realized that this person is loved by Creator God. This person is extremely confused. But instead of getting judgment and resentment and disgust from me, this person should get some love and some grace and hopefully maintain a relationship where you can get to the point where you talk about these things. But if we don't respond properly, we'll never get to those places and we'll never get to the point where we can have these conversations. If we truly want to reach people, didn't say we necessarily understand it because I still don't understand it. But it breaks my heart because I believe it breaks Jesus's heart so Jesus is our primary example first of all because when Jesus saw the situation that people were in he mourned and he grieved the second thing is we should mourn for our own shortcomings we should mourn for our own sins Have you ever done something, and once again, I'm not asking you to raise hands or confess anything tonight, but I want you to think about it, because I have these conversations with myself. I'm one of those people that like to wake up in the middle of the night for absolutely no reason and can't go back to sleep. And at 3 o'clock, these are the kind of things that come into your mind. Have you ever done something that you knew was wrong before you ever did it? How did you feel after There are a lot of things that I have done in my life that I regret. And there were times in my life where I would do them and I'd feel a little guilty because I was raised in church my whole life. And sometimes I would do these things willingly, knowing that they were wrong, and I'd feel a little twinge of guilt. And I would say the little prayer Lord, forgive me. I promise I won't do that anymore. To find myself doing it again and again and again because I hadn't truly understood the ramifications of what I had done. I may have felt a twinge of guilt. I may have felt sorry, but that's not the same thing as mourning and grieving. I'll give you two perfect examples. Two of Jesus' twelve disciples betrayed him. Two of them. We always think about Judas, but remember, Peter betrayed him three times. If you go back and read the The accounts of what happened, both of them were genuinely sorry for what they had done. In fact, Judas went back and tried to give the money back, if you remember. He felt sorry for what he did. He realized Jesus was innocent and he had played a part. He had been played and he felt bad. But I think the difference between Judas and Peter, because if you remember, Peter's story ends up he's having breakfast with Jesus on the banks. And three times Jesus says, do you love me? And each time Peter like, yes, I love you. Peter was truly grieved. In fact, it happened almost immediately. If you remember, as soon as the rooster crowed, Peter understood the ramifications of what he had done, and it broke his heart. And he responded accordingly. Judas felt bad, and what did Judas do? He went off and killed himself. We've all felt sorry. We've all felt guilty for the things that we have done. And that's good. That's the Holy Spirit working in our lives. But what it should do is lead us to the point where we grieve and we mourn. And what that does is it causes a change in who we are. One of the best examples, if you still have your Bible open, is in Psalm 51. So if you want to turn over there, this is King David. King David, a man who the Bible says was a man, what? After God's own heart. David, who wrote these beautiful psalms of praise and worship. But David was also a liar. He was an adulterer. And he was a murderer. We all know the story of what happened. He was out there and he saw Bathsheba. And he sent for her. And he committed this sin. And then trying to cover it up, he brought her husband back. And when her husband was more righteous than he was at the moment, he sent him out and had him killed. My favorite part of that story, if you can have a favorite part to a story that involves lying, adultery, and murder, is that the prophet Nathan came to him and confronted him, if you remember. He said, David, to keep in mind, he's taking his life into his hands confronting the king. But Nathan was grieved by David's sin because he understood what it meant and he says, David, let me tell you a story. And he told a story about this man who had this one little baby lamb who he loved like a member of the family. And he raised this little lamb, and he cared for this lamb. And then there was this guy who was rich and had fields and fields and fields full of animals. But instead of killing one of his own, he stole the man's lamb and killed this man's lamb. And Nathan says, what do you think about that, king? He says, he ought to take that guy out and kill him. That's terrible. And then Nathan looked at him and says, it's you, buddy. I'm paraphrasing. It's you. And then, then David wrote Psalm 51. Absolutely beautiful passage of Scripture. And in this, if you're wondering what it means to mourn and grieve for your sin, I think David paints us a beautiful picture here. We already understand that God grieves. Now listen to what it sounds like to a person who has been confronted with their sin, and it truly breaks their heart. King David says, be gracious to me, God According to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion or transgression. And that word in the Hebrew means to break someone's trust. It's a breach of trust. Completely wash away my guilt or my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You were blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty before I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. And he's using poetic language here, but David understands the ramifications of what he's done. He says, Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Listen to this part, and mind you, this is poetry, but you want to know what it feels like on an interpersonal level to grieve? He says, Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from me for my sins and blot out my guilt. And then there were proper responses after you grieve and mourn and you confess your sins, you pray. God, create a clean heart for me, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. When we truly confront our sin and we grieve and mourn, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to go to God and take care of it. And unless you've been baptized into Jesus, you can't do that. But for those of us who are Christians, and I don't believe we can achieve perfection in this lifetime, I think we we can become more righteous. That's the process of sanctification. But for those of us who are believers, when we confront our sin, we go to God and we confess it. It's Like you said in your communion meditation this morning, we don't confess our sins to tell God what we've done. He knows. God doesn't need to hear us confess our sins. You know who does? We do. And when we grieve and we mourn, Scripture says when we confess our sins to God, what does He say? He's faithful to forgive. And then the beautiful thing is is we can be restored. And the last thing David says there in verse 13 is after we have had this face-to-face, this sit-down, come-to-Jesus meeting, and we've confessed our sins and confronted it and and God has forgiven it, then we go out and we live it by example and we tell others. We share the gospel. We can find comfort here in this world when we mourn. Because on a personal level, we find forgiveness. We know because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have forgiveness. So we get a taste of that comfort and that blessing here and now. We can see others leave sinful lifestyles and come to know Christ, and we get a taste of that comfort. But ultimately, the comfort is waiting for us. Because one day Jesus is going to return, and all of His enemies are going to be vanquished There'll be no more devil. There'll be no more temptation. There'll be no more sin. And we'll truly understand what it feels like to have our tears wiped away and to be comforted. I think there are four things and this is how we'll close tonight. There are four ways we experience this comfort right now. Ultimately, we have to wait for Christ to return to see the complete fulfillment. But the way we receive comfort here and now When we're grieved and when we mourn, whether it's over the sinfulness of this world or our own personal sins. We're comforted by the gospel message that Jesus Christ came and he died for us. And we don't have to. We are comforted by the Holy Spirit that lives within us when we're baptized into his name. This morning's passage said, the Spirit grieves along with us. Number three, we're comforted by these scriptures that over and over again tell us of promises that God hears and God forgives and God's going to fix it all. And lastly, we're comforted by the saints, by one another. We come along beside one another and bear one another's burdens. And instead of assuming or judging, we listen and we have grace and we have mercy because we're broken along with each other. I don't know what anybody's going through the night. No, I'm the kind of person I always issue an invitation because I just don't know. There may be someone sitting in this room tonight that's broken. Maybe you have got to that first step and you're poor in spirit and you're broken and you're still mourning. There's something in your life that you need to take care of. So tonight as we sing our last song, if you have any sort of decision to make tonight, we'll invite you to do so as we stand and sing.